Hi, this is Janie from Louisville, and you're listening to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. Are you excited about this month's theme? I am really excited. Me too. <laughs> Guys, you know, instead of March Madness, uh-huh. we are in Monster Madness. Yes. <laughs> and I am beyond pumped. I am too. In fact, it's interesting. I went into this topic for our first episode thinking, oh, this is good. You've I gotten, got gotten so psyched. sucked into it. Yeah. I'm like beyond. I am. I mean, it is crazy how, I, how much I got into this topic. We're going to make you a monster movie fan before this is over. <laughs> Well, here we go. Let's go ahead and get started. And you're actually, I think, going to enjoy this hook. It's a little different. Okay. Okay. Ashley, do you know on what animal Godzilla was based? I don't. Like a stegosaurus? I don't know. That's not a bad guess. What is it? It was a dinosaur. It was a dinosaur? Yes. (laughs) Yes. But It kind of looks like a little radiated T-Rex that's been in the microwave too long. So you jumped ahead of me. I did. I'm sorry. No, no. This is great. He is actually a combination of three dinosaurs. Okay. And you've now named two of them. Stegosaurus and T-Rex? It was Stegosaurus, T-Rex, and what do you think the third one might be? I don't know. What's the third one? An iguana. Iguanodon. Iguanodon. Did I say that right? I think so. Okay. Yes, Iguanodon. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really see that. I wonder what traits they're taking from that. Interesting. That is interesting. I don't have an answer to that question, but it's a good one. But here's the story of how this played out, okay? The design of the monster, uh-huh. of course, came about as they were making the very first movie. So the special effects were created by their special effects artists in conjunction with the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. They wanted to, to really craft Godzilla. So the special effects expert, whose name was, forgive me for any mispronunciations, mm-hmm. um, I'm doing my best. I think it would be Ishii Tsutsubura originally proposed that Godzilla looks similar to a giant octopus. Really? Yes. I think it's because the plot called for Godzilla to come from the sea. And I suspect they wanted to think about a sea creature. Okay. However, the film producer, Tomoyuki Tanaka, suggested that the monster be more like a gorilla or a whale due to the name that they'd already picked, which was Gojira. It's a combination of the Japanese words for gorilla and whale. Ah. And by the way, Gojira, that is the title of the film in America we chose Godzilla because Uh it sounded very similar. Yes. Yes, phonetically. So eventually the filmmakers decided not to go that route. They decided they were going to base Godzilla's design on dinosaurs using dinosaur books and magazines as a reference. And as we've already said, they decided to combine elements from those three different Mm. dinosaurs we just named. 
now. But they kept the name because it was cool. Yeah. So a fun side note is <laughs> Steven Spielberg yeah. cited Godzilla as an inspiration for Jurassic oh, Park. Oh, Candy, it all comes back <laughs> to Jurassic does. Park. I, I love it. I put that in there just for Thank you. Thank you. He specifically said that Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which was the 1956 film of mm-hmm. Godzilla, was the one that he grew up watching. Well, why is Godzilla so significant? I thought I would start with this at the top of the episode instead okay. of waiting to the end. Here are just a few things I found out. So there is a term called kaiju, which is a Japanese word that literally means strange beast or strange creature. It can reference the Japanese media genre that involves giant monsters, okay. or sometimes you can use that word just to reference the giant monsters themselves. All right. And a lot of times when you picture these giant monsters, you'll think of them attacking major cities, battling the military, battling other monsters. You know, those are some associations that might come to mind. But the point is, the 1954 Godzilla film is commonly regarded as the first kaiju film. Mm. Another significant point about this is that according to the Guinness Book of World Records, Godzilla, I'm, by the way, the Japanese word would be Gojira. I'm just going to call it Godzilla. Because that's what we know it as. Yes, but Godzilla is the longest continuously running movie franchise ever. Like, it is the one, although they acknowledge there have been some gaps in production. Yeah. It started in 1954, so next year will be its 70th anniversary. Oh my gosh. I know. And it keeps going. Yes! Have you seen the recent ones? I may have. Which one are you mm, talking about? No, I'm talking about like the King Kong versus Godzilla, this yes. latest iteration. Oh, that's so good. Well, and there are more recent things than that. I found out that there's an anime series created by Netflix called Godzilla Singular Point that just came out in 2021. I watched, I kind of skimmed through a few episodes uh-huh. just to get a feel for what that was like. And they have scheduled a Godzilla and the Titans that's coming out in late 2023 or early 2024 as part of the Legendary's Monsterverse. Yes. So it's still going. It's so good. The better CGI gets, the better the movies get. Yeah. And just to prepare for this, I watched the 1964 Godzilla movie, Mothra versus Godzilla, and I skimmed through so many mm-hmm. clips. I had so much fun. Did you really? I did. <laughs> it was great. It was really great. But all that to say, Godzilla obviously has some incredible significance. Mm-hmm. It is still out there and still enjoyed by people even today and so we are going to dig into it a little bit let's do it yes going back to the original we're gonna we're gonna spend a lot of time with the original because that's again where Godzilla came to life origin story yes exactly so to give a bit of a synopsis of the original movie in this film you had a giant monster attacking and irradiating a fishing ship And then it stomps through a rural village on the fictional Odo Island and then attacks Tokyo twice, leaving it in ruins. So this led to this doctor, Kayohei Yamani, who realizes the creature needs to be destroyed. Mm -hmm. Now, he has a daughter named Amiko who is engaged in an arranged marriage to this brilliant scientist, Dr. Dosuki Serizawa. But... There's kind of a love triangle. Okay. She's really in love with a salvage ship captain. Okay. So what happens is, I'm going to kind of simplify this. The guy she's engaged to, that scientist, he has invented a weapon that's so powerful, it scares him. He's afraid of what might happen with it. Okay. And it's only when his fiance and the man she loves confront him and say, you've got 
to use this against Godzilla that he agrees. Ultimately, it works, but while he is, you know, deploying it underwater, he cuts the rope and the oxygen to his own suit to ensure that the secret of that oh, weapon will die himself. with him and the monster. Oh. Yes. And so the film ends with Amiko's father basically kind of doing this little tribute to the sacrifice made by this man yeah. while also putting out this warning that another Godzilla will arise if mankind continues doing what they're doing, specifically testing nuclear weapons. Wow. So it's a film with a message. I like that. I have not seen the original. Mm -hmm. But I want to know, did anybody ever ask Godzilla what was wrong? Like, did they ever <laughs> go to him and say, why are you so angry? Because in the newer ones, we kind of got a, we got a reason for the anger. And we're like, we, we feel you. <laughs> you just want to be left alone and people just keep bringing you out and you have to go fight and you just want your peace and quiet. That is so funny. I just want to know. But you remind me. Share with us. What is your background with Godzilla? <laughs> how, how do you feel about this franchise? I, I love monster movies, which was started, of course, with Jurassic Park. And I have not seen the original. So I've not seen any mm -hmm. original Godzilla movies, but I've seen the newer ones, which started with... It started with King Kong, the King Kong films, and they had this new like monster verse. And so I saw uh, Kong Skull Island. I've seen King Kong. Mm -hmm. And then there was, I don't remember what the next one was called, but it was, I think it was just Godzilla. I think I even saw the Matthew Broderick Godzilla, yes, which nobody talks about too. anymore, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I saw that one. And then the new one that came out, I saw that. And I just, I loved the special effects. And mm -hmm. I love that they, in more modern monster movies, try to give the monsters... <sighs> They try to give them sympathy so you can understand why they behave the way that they do. Mm. And I just, I just loved it. I loved, I just loved it. That's actually a point we're going to come back to mm -hmm. is how they changed Godzilla over the years. Mm -hmm. And sometimes he's more sympathetic. He's more sympathetic. You have in, in many cases, he's now a hero. Yeah. I mean, he was yeah. clearly a villain when he started. He was, yeah, he's he not was, a villain anymore. Right. And I think in the, I forget which one, they all run together in my head. But in one of them, Mothra was actually his girlfriend. Oh. <laughs> Sort of. They referred to him as his girlfriend, and then she gets killed, and that's what really makes him mad. Okay. So he had a reason. So basically, they've personified him. They've mm -hmm. they've made him humanistic. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, back to our 1954 classic. The film was directed by Ishiro Honda, who was inspired by, you're going to like this, the classic American film King Kong. Ah, there it is. It all ties together. Yes. And he wanted to create a monster movie of his own. Now, we've already talked about our special effects artist who was so important to this. He worked with the producer and this director together. They, they created, again, Godzilla. We have not mentioned it ends up taking two men to play Godzilla. Mm. Okay. So in the making of this film, they pioneered a form of special effects called suitmation, in which a stunt performer wearing a suit interacts with miniature sets. Okay. I found some amazing photos of this that okay. we will put in our show notes. Okay. But it is to see this person wearing part or all of a Godzilla costume, and you've got like a you know, a city bridge uh -huh. that's a at little his miniature. waist level. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it is. It's fascinating to look at. But anyway, the creators of the Godzilla suit would use thin bamboo sticks and wire to build the frame for mm -hmm. the interior of the suit. And then they added metal mesh and cushioning over it to give it structure. And then finally, they applied coats of latex. After that, actually, there was more. There were some coats of molten rubber, mm. followed by these carved indentations and strips of latex that were glued onto the surface 
years to try to create his scaly hide. Sounds very, very hot. It well, and that's that's something that came up. It yeah. was very hot to yeah. wear it. Yes. It was also heavy because the first version of the suit weighed two hundred and twenty pounds. Oh golly. Mm -hmm. For close ups, they created a smaller scale mechanical hand operated puppet that sprayed streams of mist from its mouth, and that would of course be the smoke. Be, yes, when they had Godzilla's atomic breath. I like the noise he makes when he's powering up. <laughs> and the newer ones. Yes. The suitmation technique was actually a really big deal. The fellas who came up with this, they were all men. These gentlemen who were working together on this, they created something new. They were creators and innovators to kind of flip back to our, to our old theme. Yes, our old theme. Our last theme. In fact, it was funny because it may... Sometimes if we look at these films now, it may look sometimes a little simplistic or you sure, see through the Sure, but you have to think about effects. the technology at the time. Exactly. I even went back and I looked it up. This is only... 27 years after the first talking movie, this is The big. Jazz Singer, had yeah. come out. These fellas were pioneering a brand new approach to creating monster movie special effects. And in fact, they invented the tokusatsu genre as we know it. Now, I am not an expert on this, but I mm -hmm. looked it up. The word tokusatsu means special effects in English. It can also be translated to the term special filming. Mm -hmm. But it's used to refer to this whole genre mm -hmm. oftentimes. And I know I'm not doing it justice. I'm being very superficial. But the core elements of tokusatsu would generally include things like secret identities, transformations, and use of special effects. You might see giant robots and monsters and stylized theatrical fights. In fact, they gave the example of the Power Rangers as okay. an mm -hmm. example mm -hmm. of Japanese tokusatsu. That's something that we would probably recognize in America. So these gentlemen basically were starting that. Gotcha. Yeah. According to Turner Classic Movies, modern sources also note that the original Gojira was the highest budgeted film made in Japan to that time. So all of these things made this first film a really big deal. Yeah. In terms of the theme, you have to really think about the context. This is less than 10 years Since after... Since World War II? Yes. Yeah. Less yeah. than 10 years after the U.S. had dropped the atomic bombs yeah. on Japan. So the Japanese people were dealing with a lot of pain, a lot of trauma, a lot of anger. So this film really keyed into those emotions and some of the experiences that the people of Japan would have had. Mm -hmm. Producer Tomoyuki Tanaka stated that, quote, the theme of the film from the beginning was the terror of the bomb. Mm. Mankind had created the bomb and now nature was going to take revenge on mankind. Now the director filmed Godzilla's Tokyo Rampage to mirror the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, stating, quote, if Godzilla had been a dinosaur or some other animal, he would have been killed by just one cannonball. Uh -huh. But if he were equal to an atomic bomb, uh -huh. we wouldn't know what to do. So I took the characteristics of an atomic bomb and applied them to Godzilla. You know, they were really trying to show this idea of mm -hmm. Godzilla impacting and destroying and, and this wreaking This is what havoc. happened to us. Yes, exactly. And, and the emotions that people must have felt against Godzilla, you can't even, I mean, I, I can just imagine. There's a Godzilla historian named Steve Rifle who wrote a book about Godzilla in this original film, and he gave a talk um, several years ago, and one of the quotes from his talk was this. The film is a commercial monster movie, of course, but it's very much also about the collective experience of the Japanese people during the war. The war may have ended nine years before, but the trauma was still being experienced, mm -hmm. and that's very much palpable in this motion picture. The experiences of the people, they mirror the experiences during wartime. 
mass evacuations, Mm -hmm. daily life disrupted, Mm -hmm. people fleeing to the hills and watching helplessly as their city burns. Godzilla is the unmistakable stand-in for the atomic bomb in this movie. It moves slowly across the city, destroying everything in its path, and shows no mercy. The issue of nuclear weapons is at the heart of this movie. That's fascinating. I never would have thought of that. Mm Mm-hmm. And to build on to that, to add on to that, according to the trivia on IMDb, and this was also actually in some other sources as well, the fact that they designed Godzilla's skin, his his scales and the way they did was purposeful. To make it look like radiation poison? Yes, it was supposed to look like the scars and the burns that people who survived the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombings would have had on their bodies. And to add to that, the opening scene of the movie was actually based on an incident that had occurred just right before the movie came out. What? On March 1st of 1954, just a few months before the film was made, there was a Japanese fishing vessel. In English, the name of it would have been Lucky Dragon Number 5. And it was showered with radioactive fallout when the U.S. did a hydrogen bomb test at Mm. The Bikini Atoll. Mm-hmm. And what happened was it contaminated all of the fish that the boat had caught, which caused a panic in Japan about the safety of eating fish. Mm-hmm. So that was a whole other thing. Mm-hmm. But then the crew that was on the boat became very sick, and one member even died of radiation sickness. Ugh. So this caused such outrage. Yeah. I mean, such an uproar. It led to anti nuclear movements and signatures on an anti nuclear petition and ultimately it led to the formation of the japan council against atomic and hydrogen bombs it was huge so if you want to talk about emotion yeah and trauma yeah i mean it was it was very real so the film's opening scene of godzilla destroying a japanese vessel was a direct reference to To what what just happened happened Mm. to that shipping boat it was as you might expect a film that resonated with the audience they responded to it very strongly it was very popular it received a japanese academy award nomination for best picture which Mm. is the only godzilla movie who's received a nomination for a best picture it did not win but it was was historical in that way yes and it did win an award for best special effects i would imagine so yeah so what happened was because this was such a very well-received popular film in Japan of course they got the idea we should bring this to America so American distributors specifically it was Transworld Films won the auction to get distribution rights and they paid the Japanese studio Toho this huge amount of money for that time which was $25,000 to get the rights to make it in America but at that time foreign films were not usually doing very well at the box office so Transworld Films decided they were going to make some changes so that the Didn't American... Didn't they expand it and they added uh, Raymond Burr? You are right. Right. Brian was watching this on Svengooly the other night and he was talking about it. I, di- I didn't see it. I was hearing Raymond Burr and they added some... They Americanized it a bit. Yes. 100%. So this movie was called Godzilla and King of the Monsters and they added the character Steve Martin, played by Raymond Burr, as Steve you said. Steve Martin? <laughs> I well, what's funny is later... Well... Spoiler alert for what's coming later, but later they're going to make another film. And by that time, Steve Martin was popular. And so oh, they had to was, change the name or did they No, keep they it? kept it because they were kind of like, hey, it's Steve Martin. This might actually be yeah. kind of a good thing. But the character Steve Martin was supposed to be an American reporter who was visiting Tokyo when Godzilla attacks. They added him because basically they wanted to 
give American audiences kind of a point of view character. Mm -hmm. So he's there to basically provide narration, Mm -hmm. to offer perspective, to sometimes give exposition or to Mm -hmm. explain things so that the American audience can get it. Now, probably they chose Raymond Burr because it was not long after he had just done Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Windows and he'd gotten some good buzz. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was a bad guy. Yeah. So the premise is this American reporter, Steve Martin, is visiting Japan to meet up with the scientist character we referenced, the one who ends up dying at the end of the movie. Okay. Because these two fellows were supposed to have gone to college together and then because he's there when all of this happens with Godzilla and he's a journalist he gets pulled into the action so that's that's how they decided to insert him Raymond Burr never actually interacted with any of those actors they took the film that was already made and it was all about editing cutting rearranging and adding I'm pretty impressed with that it really was pretty amazing so for example the American version starts with Raymond Burr lying injured in the rubble after Godzilla's second attack on Tokyo and then they do most of this film in flashback of course the original is just in chronological order straight from the beginning yeah now even with adding a whole character and these new scenes the American film is 15 minutes shorter than the original really yes the person who wrote this one article commented that it was kind of sad because what suffered was some of the character development that Mm. you saw in the original Mm -hmm. film specifically like the love triangle but they focus more on the action of it instead of the story exactly so the new footage was shot in the US one source this was I didn't find this across several but one source said that the American scenes were shot on a small rented soundstage in Los Los Angeles and cost approximately $100,000 to produce. And I think it happened like just in the space of a day or two. It was very fast. Now, some sources erroneously say that Raymond Burr was the only American actor in this film. But that is not true. A Japanese-American actor named Frank Iwanagua was also in the added scenes along with several Asian-American extras. Okay. And to give an example or two of how they did it, in the original version, you have this scene that happens on Odo Island and the Japanese cast is running up and down the hillside away from Godzilla. So they would take shots of Raymond Burr and Frank Iwanagua and they were running on similar terrain and they would just kind of insert it. That's cool. Yes, so it seemed as though they were in that same action sequence. Or sometimes they would use their Asian American extras who would stand with their backs and it would look as though it was the scene from the movie. Kind of a layer. Yes. Okay. And they would just kind of insert that. And they would be wearing the same clothing as the people in the original movie to try to make it seem as though it was just part of that scene. Now, one, I guess it's a positive. While they were Americanizing a lot of it, a little credit was given to them that they did not try to change the language. Mm, You know, they mm -hmm. left it in Japanese. Mm -hmm. They didn't dub it into English. They felt that it was very understandable because you, you had Steve's running narration. Sometimes the character Frank Iwanagua would translate something to Raymond Burr and that would be another way that he could explain what was happening and they could move the plot forward. Okay. Did they have subtitles? No. Interesting. No. And you were able to follow it apparently. Nice. So the comment that was made in this article was they felt like it was nice that the filmmakers were showing some respect for the source material. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah. But on the flip side, again, there were several ways that they Americanized it. And one of the things that they critiqued a little bit in this article was that it lost some of its insight. And a little bit of, I guess, the edginess of the original version because... Well, if they're Americanizing it, they're not going to want to say, look what we did to this town. Look how we destroyed them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You're going to take away that. Yeah. 
Yeah, in the original, you had those references not only to the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but also the firebombing of Tokyo, which were, of course, deleted from mm-hmm. the American version. And one of the other notable changes was we talked about how the first film ends. You had, in fact, I have a quote, Amiko's father, that Dr. Yamani, he gives this warning. If nuclear testing continues, then someday, somewhere in the world, another Godzilla may appear. Mm-hmm. But the American version, this 1956, version ends with Steve Martin he's mourning his friend's death but then he goes on to kind of optimistically say something to the effect of the whole world will be able to wake up and live again Mm. so it doesn't have that very sanitized yeah it doesn't have that message about nuclear testing and and then nuclear bombs so the U.S. movie received some mixed reviews but it was a hit with the audiences and of course the success led to the multimedia franchise that we know today and ultimately turning Godzilla into, quote, an international pop cultural icon. For sure. Before we talk more about that, why don't we take a little break? Sounds good. Do you love tea? Do you love entertainment? Do you love listening to stories from your two new BFFs? Then consider joining the club over at buymeacoffee.com. For $5 per month, you can be a part of the 1939 Club, otherwise known as the Golden Year of Cinema. When Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Stagecoach of Mice and Men, Wuthering Heights, Hound of the Baskervilles, The Little Princess, Babes in Arms, Goodbye Mr. Chips, The Hunchback of Notre Dame, and of course, The Wizard of Oz were released. Perks include a 5% discount on new merchandise, a shout-out for new members, an opportunity to be listed as a supporter in show notes, and exclusive access to bonus content. However, if you're feeling doubly generous, you can join the 1993 Club, otherwise known as the greatest year of cinema. This is the year that Schindler's List, The Sandlot, The Fugitive, Rudy, Robin Hood, Men in Tights, Sleepless in Seattle, The Nightmare Before Christmas, Mrs. Doubtfire, Grumpy Old Men, and of course, Jurassic Park were released. Additional perks in this club include a 10% discount on Scandalwater merchandise, the opportunity to record a shout-out of your own, and the chance to vote in our guaranteed content poll, along with the warm and sunny feeling that you're supporting your besties. If clubbing isn't your thing, there's a one-time gift option, too. Either way, those who support Scandalwater report fewer bad hair days, more green lights and traffic, and a grander sense of purpose and wonder at least once per day. Scandalwater, we do the research so you don't have to. All right, we are back and ready to continue talking about Godzilla, which, as we've already said, is the longest running film franchise in history. In fact, I know, isn't it crazy? A site called Wikizilla lists 36 Godzilla films in total, and it also listed anime series, video games, a Saturday morning cartoon series, there's Mm. been books, comics, toys, it went on and on. Yeah. Now, in my own house, we used to play a video game called Godzilla Destroy All Monsters melee for gamecube what that's I a long know. title <laughs> i know it's so funny because i am not a huge video game player yeah but i remember playing this game in fact i think mecha godzilla was my favorite really yes but you got to choose all the different mm-hmm. m- monsters mm-hmm. associated with the franchise and and you would like kind of battle each other interesting and- <laughs> i would have liked that game <laughs> yes well obviously we're not going to talk about all of the different elements of this franchise but we're just going to hit on a few little interesting pieces here and there all right we'll just bounce around a little bit 
the company, Toho Company, is the one who created Godzilla, and they went on to produce many more of the Godzilla movies. And many of the early sequels were even directed and produced by the same people, Tanaka oh, like mm-hmm. and Honda, including the 1963 release, Godzilla vs. King Kong, and the 1964, Godzilla vs. The Thing. The actor... <laughs> Godzilla versus The Thing. <laughs> I could see Kong. What is the thing? What is the thing? I have never seen it, but apparently there was like a whole movie, a creature that was the well, thing. I, I remember the thing, but I don't remember what the thing was. Well, if I you could have a, a blob. I guess so. <laughs> I guess he can be a thing. You can have a thing. Yeah. Moving on. An interesting side note is one of those actors that was in the original film, part of the love triangle, was Akira Takarada. And he made an impression. He ended up getting cast in several of the follow-up Godzilla movies. Mm -hmm. Did he end up with a girl? He did end up with a girl in the first movie. And then he played lead roles in the 1964 Mothra vs. Godzilla, Invasion of Astro Monster 1965, Godzilla vs. the Sea Monster in 66. He had small roles in his later life, including they brought him back for little pieces in Godzilla vs. Mothra 1992 and Godzilla Final Wars in 2005. I think he even had a tiny role in the 2014 Godzilla movie. Oh my goodness. Isn't that great? I'm going to have to go back and look at that. I like that. I do too. The first time... Godzilla attacked America mm-hmm. was in 1968's Destroy All Monsters. And in that movie, apparently Godzilla blasted the UN headquarters with his atomic breath while under alien mind control. Whoa. Now, another little interesting tidbit was something that I previewed just a few minutes ago. Raymond Burr revived his character in the Toho produced Godzilla 1985 movie, which was released in Japan in 1984 as Gojira. And then an American-produced version is the one you talked about. That same movie, but the American version of it, was the 1998 Matthew Broderick movie that was set in modern-day New York City. The most recent blockbuster was the Godzilla vs. King Kong 2021, which grossed more than $467 million worldwide. And some of those dollars were mine. (laughs) (laughs) How many times did you go see it? Uh, I think I saw it once in the theater, and we saw it on HBO. HBO Max when it mm-hmm. came out there. Yeah, they said that it actually set a box office record because it was during the COVID-19 pandemic. Mm-hmm. So for that situation, mm-hmm. it was... Pretty a, intense. A, yeah, it was a blockbuster for, for that situation. Godzilla's singular point is that anime series that I mentioned. It's co-produced by the animation studios Bones and Orange, and it premiered in March of 2021 on Netflix in Japan and also another channel over there. And now I was able to get it, mm-hmm. you know. So I watched a few episodes, as I mentioned. I could see where it would be interesting. And as I've already said, Godzilla and the Titans is supposed to be coming out soon. Is that a sequel to what I just saw in 2021? Is that part of that franchise? I don't know. The synopsis says, see if this sounds familiar. Following the thunderous battle between Godzilla and the Titans that leveled San Francisco and the Mm -hmm. shocking new reality that monsters are real, Mm -hmm. the series explores one family's journey to uncover its buried secrets and a legacy linking them to the secret organization known as monarch yeah that sounds that sounds like it yeah good okay can i just say something totally off topic this is very off topic but this is one of those rabbit holes in the first godzilla elizabeth olsen is married to aaron taylor johnson and they play siblings 
in the Marvel movies. I don't mm. like that. <laughs> I don't like that. You need to pick. And that also happened in, I don't remember, it's some kind of apocalyptic movie where the two leads from Fault in Our Stars were love interests in Fault in Our Stars and then brother and sister in the other. No, no. <laughs> you have established your relationship yes. and you must I live with that forever. I cannot see the cinematic incest. <laughs> you need to, if you played brother and sister in the first film, that's what you are. You are brother and sister. You cannot be love interests. No. <laughs> Sorry, that's just, a, that reminded me, and I was like, no. You are an actor yourself, actually. It's different. It's different. You have you different rules for yes. them than you do for yourself. No, I would not. I, would, I couldn't do it. Sorry. Well, a couple more things about Godzilla. We alluded to this already. Over the years, he has changed in both his appearance and his character. Mm -hmm. There was a really cool 2004 Chicago Tribune article that went through many of the changes, and it, it was kind of cool because they had pictures, and you could see how over the years he would look a little bit more scaly, a little mm -hmm. less scaly. Mm -hmm. He would look a little more dinosaur like, mm -hmm. or some you know, in the beginning, he looked a little chunky. Yeah, he, then he would become sleeker, his eyes would move. They showed you when his pupils started moving, or sometimes they would have white, and sometimes they would be all dark. It interesting, was, yes, it was really interesting. But of course, the biggest thing was the fact that, as we've already seen said he changed from villain to almost being a hero yes and like a tired hero he's like a retired army dad that just doesn't want to get off the couch he just <laughs> wants to watch he just wants to watch his stories and then something happens and he's like oh, i gotta get up and go fight i just you're really forcing me to save the world again to save the world. i thought i retired out but fine i'll Can't come you people yes. figure this out without me Yes, that's what I feel his vibe is, his modern vibe. <laughs> well, I thought a fun way to kind of bring this to a close would be to focus in on Godzilla's best enemies. Oh, yes. I found an article. It was Screen Rant's 2021 article entitled The 16 Best Godzilla Enemies. Okay. I'm not giving you all 16. Okay. But what I did was I picked out five that I felt were the most significant okay. enemies. And then I looked them up to see if they made the list. And if so, what number they came in. Oh, okay. So who would you say are some of the top enemies, Ashley? Well, of course, it's King Kong is one of them. He came in at number nine. Number nine. Okay. And I'm sorry. I When they had Godzilla versus King Kong, I was on both their sides. On In Godzilla's <laughs> movies, I was pro-Godzilla. In King Kong's movies, I was, I was on King Kong's side. And when they pitted them against each other, I was in a quandary because <laughs> I did not know who I needed to root for. But I was edging to King Kong. I oh, just felt like he was okay. more misunderstood and more sympathetic, more to, sympathetic to me. Okay. And just both of them just seemed like they were being drugged into something they didn't want to do. Like they mm -hmm. didn't want to fight, but they had to fight. Again, the yeah. reluctant... The reluctant the, hero. Yes. Yes. Okay. So King Kong. Yes. Uh, Mothra, although I'm confused about their relationship because I feel like there was some kind of romance, but that's weird, so I don't know. Well, Mothra made the list. Okay. Number six. Okay. And I'm going to say in the 1964 version, there was no romance. Okay. I don't know Where when that might have... Well, I mean, it's 1964 got a lot of years between then and I think it's the more modern 2023 it's probably yes probably in more recent years but Mothra's again I mean started in 1961 the first time Mothra appeared in a mm -hmm. film so that is definitely a big foe who mm -hmm. has been around for a long time okay okay so what's another one the two-headed guy 
Who's that? Um, I believe that would be Ghidorah. Okay. Yes. It says this that was an alien angry creature sports three deadly three... serpent-like heads. Yes. It can yes, fly yes, yes. and is capable of withstanding everything Godzilla can throw at it. So is that the right one? Yes, that's the right one. That was number one. What? Yes. Okay. They, they... He was pretty hairy, pretty nasty. Mm-hmm. I was not on his side, for sure. Um, is there one called Rodan? There is. Okay. Number three. Who's he? He first appeared in 1956. This gigantic pterodon made his first appearance way back in 1956 in a standalone film, but he has since gone on to become a staple of Godzilla lore, according okay. to this article. He started off as a terrifying and destructive predator, but his stance was softened later on. His best-known abilities are super speed, the ability to create her cane level winds with its wings Ooh. plus a fireball style heat attack that's that's intense yeah that's a good enemy okay. now mecha godzilla that's a robot one right you are killing it yes. yes yes mecha godzilla came in at number two okay. first appeared in 1974 godzilla versus mecha godzilla and this is the one that see this is the one that was in the most recent and once godzilla and king kong settled their personal scores they teamed up and then they fought mm-hmm. mecha godzilla yeah this is the one that's kind of robotic in fact they Mm -hmm. said it probably helped serve as an inspiration for the giant robots seen in big blockbuster films like pacific rim is one of the notes in the article interesting yeah Okay, so this is making me remember, and I'm sure devoted Godzilla fans are furious or mad at me. Like, can you not remember? I see this stuff, I retain it, and then it, you know, it just goes in my Rolodex and sometimes I get it wrong. But when you were talking about the one scientist that sacrificed his life Mm -hmm. in the original, that happened, and I don't remember which... Which one? If it was the first or the second one? It might have been the first one with Elizabeth Olsen. I don't remember. But there was this scientist who ends up going into the cave where Godzilla is. And I think he is either injured or he's trying to wake him up or something. But they have to blast him with radiation. Mm. And he sacrifices his life Mm -hmm. so that they can get Godzilla awakened so that he can come and fight for them. So he's a hero. Yes. Well, and I think you actually segued into this last little comment that I was going to make, which is related to relevance. Yeah. I think that example and what we discussed in the original film both show that idea that these films are not just monster movies. Yeah. They really have a message and it's really about what's right, ethically what's right and wrong and Mm -hmm. what is your responsibility to try to save others or Mm -hmm. to try to stand up against things that are wrong. Mm -hmm. Because in both those cases, we celebrate these, they were men in both of these, those examples, these men who were willing to sacrifice themselves Mm -hmm. in order to try to save the world Mm -hmm. and to stand up against the destruction that was happening. Right. Well, one of the creative managers at Toho International, which is again, that company that produces, you know, Godzilla movies and the original one, including the original one, but they said that Godzilla has continued to enthrall fans by staying relevant on a global scale, even as the issues of the day change Mm -hmm. they said quote if you look through the history of the films a lot of the filmmakers touched on certain political or environmental topics of the time i think the character itself has represented so many things as far as being a hero for earth a force of nature the result of mankind's tampering with things Mm, yeah that's one of the things that happened in in one of the again they all blend together in my head but in one of them the quote unquote bad guy was a person I'm not going to reveal it in case you want to see it a person who wanted to release all of the monsters Mm. because that person's theory was we will reset everything Mm. we'll release all these monsters they're going to live amongst us and 
a completely misguided thought that, oh, we're just going to live in harmony once they reset the, I don't know the word, but once they reset everything, it goes Mm -hmm. back to the way it was, the way nature intended it to be, and they'll be our leaders. Oh, okay. Totally misguided. Yeah, very misguided. But it does sound like you agree with the final thing that this creative manager said. He said, as with the first film, it's such an allegory for what we can do wrong. Godzilla should be seen almost like a warning in a way. There's definitely a lesson to be learned in each film. Yeah, there is. Mm -hmm. Stop messing where you don't need to be messing. (laughs) That's, That's my summary of all that. Well, then let's take that into our armchair. Okay. Armchair psychologist. Following up on what we've just said, the original especially, but probably according to this gentleman, all of the films are meant to teach us or to help us think about important lessons. Mm -hmm. Yet we've said that Godzilla himself has totally changed throughout the years Mm -hmm. from villain to hero. So do we feel like the films still carry those sharp messages and those strong lessons or have they been watered down over the years? I don't know. It depends on who's in charge of the script, I guess. I think the messages probably are there. They're just a little bit more buried or mm, they're they're different messages. Obviously, on the American side, you and I can feel sympathy for the Japanese, mm-hmm. but then also we have to understand what the from American point of view, what the what we've been told they did to us. So, you know, it's just like who's telling the story is who's in charge of what the message is. And I think sometimes the message can get watered down and sometimes it's it's strong. It just depends on the person pinning the tale. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see where the people who were creating the original story, it was a very strong environmental message. There was mm-hmm. a lot of emotion attached mm-hmm. to it, but they really, it was a very political message. Mm-hmm. You know, let's, let's be very careful about bombs and this nuclear arms arms race and this issue that's very important to our day. And Mm -hmm. I think in some cases, as you've said, it's the point of the filmmaker. Am I wanting to create something that is very pointed or am I just telling an entertaining story? Mm -hmm. I think the best stories are the ones that do tell the message in an entertaining way. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to be preached at in, you know what I mean? In the the preached at, I don't want, I don't want to be hit over the head, hit over the head with a message. I want it to be very entertaining, but then to have these moments of quiet with thought provoking messages, like again, like Jurassic Park did, they had these moments of action, but then they also had dialogue and story and a message and you could think about it in between the action sequences. I also don't like films that are all action. Mm -hmm. I've, I've seen those kind and I get I get bored by too much they're too action. Fluffy. They're too yeah, they're too much the perfect balance. I like the perfect balance. And I think one of the ones I think did the best job even though it's not a Godzilla movie. I think the Kong Skull Island did the best job of being balancing both of those. I really enjoyed that particular iteration. Mhm. Yeah, I think when I went into this theme, the idea of a monster movie seems very simplistic. Mm-hmm. It seems like it's just monster, a monster against movie. society or right or a monster against man, however yeah. you want to look at it. But what I saw in doing this research was that Godzilla was very, it was a lot deeper than that mm-hmm. in terms of its creation. And I think good monster movies are a lot deeper. You just mm-hmm. have to strike that perfect balance. Like what, what I was saying, Jaws is a monster movie, but look how it's endured. Yes. Because of its message. And it had sequences of character development and also sequences of action. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds like a nice place to end. Mm. So a big cheers 
to, oh my goodness, everyone involved with this Godzilla franchise. Yes. The people who started it and the people who have who have perpetuated and it. And to Godzilla himself, who has just become a tired <laughs> hero. That's that, right. That we enjoy and we're... Sit we're up very, off your couch, that's Godzilla. Right. We are cheersing you right <laughs> that's now. That's right. That's right. Hold Grab your, your tiny cup. cup. Yes. <laughs> we cheers you, sir. Cheers. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can join the Scandal Water community through our Scandal Water Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandal Water Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandal Water theme and other music. Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandal Water are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists. Thanks for listening.